My brothers and sisters, last week we started part one of enjoining good and prohibiting evil. And I spoke about an introduction of what it means and how it is a condition, uh, how it is an obligation on every Muslim to advise and enjoin together and work together as a community and as individuals always to guide people and to command, command meaning with wisdom and goodness and good intentions and compassion uh, towards good and to prohibit evil and to stand together against oppression and to advise people. We also spoke about 10 different guidelines. You don't just guide people and command them and prohibit haphazardly without thinking and using your mind. You have to have wisdom. And we mentioned 10 guidelines about how it has to be done. You have to fulfill those guidelines before you can command good and prohibit evil, before you can enjoin and advise about good or prohibit evil. 10 guidelines. And I also, also mentioned 10 etiquettes and manners that you have to fulfill, conditions of guidelines and conditions of approach. All of these are in the Quran and Sunnah, and we take it from our Prophet ﷺ and his companions as they copied him. Now, the reason why we opened up this topic is because we see atrocities and oppression happening around the world. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called us Muslims the best of nation. Why? In the Quran. He said, you are the best of nations sent to the world because you enjoin good and you prohibit evil and you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, we advise one another to lift each other up so that we can be saved from the fire and go into paradise. And we advise one another and join one another as a community, as a family, and as individuals. And I started off with the first guideline. I mentioned 10, and I started explaining the first one only, which was a big one. And that is, before you advise anybody verbally, or you want to take action physically, or you want to write something on social media against a post or something that you saw someone doing, right? Or in a family, before you do, or, or individual, to your friends, to anybody, before you enjoin good, you must have full knowledge about that topic, about that action. You have to have full knowledge Islamically whether this is right or wrong. How bad is it? How serious is it? Is it halal? Is it haram? Is it a difference of opinion among the scholars? We said you must have full knowledge about the aspect that you are enjoining good and forbidding evil. And the reason I said that is because on social media, unfortunately, a lot of people, they find a voice there. So you, normally in front of your face, they won't say anything because they know that they can get caught. Especially if people have good research, you get caught straight away. But if you're on, online, you've got time to go and research and look at some other uh, information on Google and then come back and, and look like you're, mashallah, very smart. But I'm not talking about you, brothers. I'm talking in general here, of course. And brothers and sisters, so what they do is they go on social media and everybody doesn't think. They just write whatever, whatever comes to their mind, thinking that they're doing good. But in fact, sometimes they're doing bad. Sometimes they're changing good to bad and making the bad worse. Sometimes they, they talk about something which they think is right because some sheikh in his town told them or because their parents told them or because their culture believes that. And they don't know how to distinguish between what is Islam, what is culture, what is custom, what does the deen say, and they just throw any comments. Some people just belong to a particular group that they follow, even though there's difference of opinion among the scholars, and they say, my group's the best group, it's the right one. Everybody else is wrong, no matter what anyone else says. And then they just throw comments and put people into the pits. Sometimes they say someone's a kafir, someone's a mushrik, someone's an innovator, someone's from Ahl al-Dalala, the people of misguidance, and they throw people into all these different names and categories without being careful, even if they know what they're talking about. So this is a huge thing. And I'll remind of the hadith of the Prophet 
رب امرئ يتكلم بالكلمة لا يلقي لها بال تهوي به سبعين خريفا في قعر جهنم It could be that a person speaks a word, utters a word, one word, not giving much care, not giving a thought, not giving care to what they're saying. And that word could be such a serious word, not caring, that it makes them fall into hellfire 70 seasons. That this person, this word on the Day of Judgment could stand up in front of you and say, what have I done to myself? It threw me into hellfire 70 seasons. So imagine throwing a rock into a fire that's so deep it takes it 70 Seasons, winter, summer, spring, autumn, 70 of them, till it reaches the bottom of hellfire. A word can destroy, a word can kill, a word can get you married, a word can get you divorced, a word can create a fight, a word can create wars, a word can, a word can create peace, a sentence can create good, a sentence can create bad, a word can create a disease, a word can create a Healing and cure, bi'idhnillah. A word can guide, a word can destroy. My, uh, I remember a good friend of mine, an imam, who said to me, if you want to be a doctor, go all the way, because half a doctor kills people. And if you want to be a alim and guide people, go all the way, because half a alim misguides people. And that is true. So, brothers and sisters, know where your position is. And remember these words. So, knowledge. And we also said, you've got to know the knowledge, the circumstances of the person. Do you know everything about that person? Have you looked at the entire circumstances surrounding it? Sometimes you might get a post where it shows a five-second clip or a ten-second clip among 20 minutes. And we don't know what will happen before what happened later. We see a fact, but we don't know the clarification. So if you have doubt, don't say anything. A person can have a reservation, but don't say anything. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, oh, you who have believed, if a person who is known to be of corruption, or if a person comes to you, another meaning of it is, with news that causes corruption, then clarify it in case you attack or accuse someone uh, falsely and without knowledge, without knowing the whole circumstance, and then you end up regretting what you said. And this verse is recited in two ways. And you can also recite it, it came down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another word, so there are some qira'ats, the styles of recitation, for those of you who know what I'm talking about. You can say this, or you can say, What's the difference? فَتَثَبَّتُ means make sure to verify that it is factual. The event actually occurred. And the second one, فَتَبَيَّنُوا Clarify that event. Do you know the difference? Yani for example, I see a brother, a Muslim that I know, come out of the mosque, and then he's parked round the corner in the dark. And I'm going to my car and I accidentally see him go into his car and another lady off the street comes and sits with him in the car and then they go off. Now I can sit there saying, okay, I verified. A lady came in and sat with this person in the car. But did I clarify? Did I know the circumstance? What if it's his sister? What if it's his wife? What if it's his daughter who doesn't have hijab, for example? What if, what if, what if? What if that lady just jumped in the car and he has no control? What if, what if, what if? Allahu alam. The thing is, there could be a thousand reasons. I verified, but I haven't clarified. 
And that is what the ayah means. To verify and to clarify. Some people say to me, Wallah, here's the clip here. And they give me these links. I've seen these links a hundred times, for example. I know what's happened there. But did you clarify the circumstances? This is, where, this is the difference between a righteous person and a person who still has not yet reached that maturity in righteousness. This is the, the difference between a person who makes islah and ifsad. A person who uh, fixes things, a person who destroys things. Any one of us here can be caught doing something which, ha- which we know what the reasons are, but people don't know why and how. Once, for example, if a person comes into the masjid and is wearing an earring, and I see him for the first time, and I rush to tell him off about the earring, you can't come into the masjid with the earring and I make a scene. How do I know if this person has ever been in a mosque before? How do I know if this person even knows if an earring is halal or haram? What if this person has just converted to Islam or reverted and comes from a culture where in their culture men wear the earrings? What if, what if, what if, what if? And is that the most important thing to talk about right now? He's coming to the masjid to pray. Get to know him, welcome him, have a smile. Ahlan wa sahlan, make him feel like family. That's what the deen is about. And then later afterwards, when you get to know this person later, later, and they start to know you, you can talk about that. It's not, it's not the end of the world. So let's move on now, inshaAllah ta'ala. So after knowledge, brothers and sisters, is this. The second one is called priorities. All right. <clears throat> what is priorities? It means that when you want to advise someone about good or bad, you know, stay away from the bad or do good, you've got to look at what's more important to talk about. What's more important to raise? You've got to use priorities. So for example, the fard Compulsory things are more important than the sunnahs. The sunnah is more important than the nafil, which is recommended, voluntary stuff. The voluntary is more recommended than the mubah. Mubah is more recommended, sorry, voluntary is more recommended than customs and cultures. Because in Islam there's customs. For example, if uh, a particular dress code in a community uh, or a tribe is what's considered beautification... Some people, they go, no, you have to wear this and you have to dress like that. that that's not the priority right now. Okay, so you've got to focus on the priorities. What are the priorities? What's the most important thing? And if, for example, that brother, as I gave the example, of coming to the masjid wearing an earrings and tattoos. What's the priority there? Is the priority to rush and tell him to take his earring off? No. Or a sister walks in and maybe her hijab is not covering her neck or loosely. Is, is, is my priority to go up and talk about hijab? Or... Is, and if she's among the women, of course. Or is my priority to get to know and make her feel welcome to this masjid and then slowly, on the side, maybe give her little pieces of advice out of love and care. Yani, I want to recite an ayah in the Qur'an, and I think all of us know this ayah. In Surah Sabbih Isma Rabbika Al-A'la. The verse which, which says, فَذَكِّرْ إِنْ نَفَعَاتِ الذِّكْرَى فَذَكِّرْ إِنْ نَفَعَاتِ الذِّكْرَى Four words. Some people say to me, how can I understand the whole Qur'an? Yeah, if you just take four words and try to understand them, that'll change a quarter of your life maybe. Listen to this. فَذَكِّرْ إِنْ نَفَعَاتِ الذِّكْرَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Surrender good counsel if good counsel will avail. Advise good advice if the advice will benefit. Yeah. That we recite it in Surah Sabbih فَذَكِّرْ إِنْ نَفَعَةِ الذِّكْرَى in, in is what we call shartiya, which means a condition. Don't do that unless it's that. 
So there's, we have two words like, similar, we say either and in. Either is a little bit more flexible. In is conditional. When you hear the word, when you read in, it means it's conditional. If this, then do that. So Allah says, give good advice, render good counsel, if good counsel will avail. The scholars gave two meanings to that. The first ones they said, we are giving you, a, it's the first commentator said that Allah is saying to the Prophet ﷺ, we are giving you a simple code of law, which is easy to practice and act upon. And the second sentence to mean, admonish, meaning remind the people if reminding is useful. The second view, which makes more sense to the structure and theme of the verse, it's like Allah is saying this, and I'll just read the commentary. O Prophet, we do not want to put you to any hardship concerning the preaching of Islam by demanding that you should make the deaf to hear and the blind to see the way. But we have appointed an easy way for you, which is this. Give admonition, reminders, when you feel that the people are inclined to benefit. When you know they might listen, they're more inclined to benefit and more inclined to listen. As to who is inclined to benefit by the reminder and who is not, this, is, this you can only know through general preaching. General preaching. Instead of going personally to a person, brothers and sisters, if you have a situation where you can talk in public or in general or in a gathering without pointing to a particular person or naming a person in particular is the best way to start any kind of da'wah and reminding. That's how the Prophet used to do, is to start general. And then, therefore, you should continue your general preaching, but your object should be to search out those from among the people who will benefit by it and adopt the right way. You catch them, you start getting to know them. Once you get to know a person, you get a bit closer, you're able to talk to them. Just look at yourself. Always look at yourself and think, would I be comfortable and listen if that person approached me the way that I'm thinking of approaching him? Think like that. Before I, before I advise you, my father, my father always told me this when I was a kid, because I was a bit more fiery back in my youthful days. Haram, haram, this, can't do this. Can't do that. I used to create havoc up in a village in Lebanon, 14 years old. I once turned the whole village against me. <laughs> well, and I thought I was Prophet Ibrahim, but then I realized Prophet Ibrahim doesn't do it that way. But I thought, you know. Anyway, I was a child, but we learned the hard way. My father used to always tell me, son, before you advise anyone, no matter how good the advice is, no matter how pleased Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you think he'll be with you, even if it's 100% correct, before you do it, think. Would you accept that approach if you approach them that way? And will it, benef will it bring something good or would it make it worse? Think. Think before you say. That's the meaning of da'wah. Inviting to the path of Allah and wanting good for other people, brothers and sisters, is really something that you love out of pleasure to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means you've got to do it in the, mess, in the best way. That's why Allah says, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّنْ دَعَى إِلَى اللَّهِ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَقَالَ إِنِّي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And who is there better of a caller than the one who calls to Allah and does righteous deeds themselves and says, I am among those who submit. This is the most precious call. So call to it in the best way. Cheap things, silly things, stupid things we call in the stupid way. But something so precious, the deen of Allah, we've got to call to it in the most precious and sensitive way. Like the man who urinated in the masjid and Prophet ﷺ said, leave him, let him finish. Let him finish peeing in the masjid. <laughs> let him finish. The companions did what we would have done. Then they learned they want to draw their swords. 
How dare he urinate in the mosque, the prophet's mosque, and prophet's present there. The prophet said, let him finish. Something might happen to him. Come on. He's thinking about the guy. Then he said, bring him to me. He came close. He said, everybody move. He said, get some water and just clean it, and that's it. And he said to him, yeah, Heather, oh, so-and-so, uh, with a smile, uh, this place is not the place for that. Meaning it's normal what you're doing, it's not the place. He said, wallahi, ya Rasulullah, he says, I'm a Bedouin, I travel in the deserts, and this is, this is the only place is what we're used to, and I thought that I was actually outside of the mosque. It wasn't built like today. And Prophet ﷺ understood, and he said, Bi abi huwa wa ummi. I would ransom my mother and father for him in the way that he approached me. And that's how Rasul ﷺ was. Even with the captives and the prisoners of war, he was like that. And that's how he went to the hearts, my brothers and sisters. So how do you command good and prohibit evil? You've got to know to get to the hearts. How would you like to be approached? Otherwise, it becomes an ego. And we'll be do, doing a disservice to the deen than a service. So, a similar was in Surah Abbas. Remember the story when the Prophet ﷺ turned away from the blind man? And he focuses his intention on the leaders, the affluent leaders. And the affluent leaders weren't listening. And the Prophet ﷺ knew they weren't. But he kept trying and trying and trying because he thought, if I can make them convert, then they will be powerful to the ummah. And the blind man, who was really a very normal, simple blind man, Ya Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, Prophet ﷺ avoided him for a bit. Not because, a'udhu billah, that he didn't find him important, but he was just focused on these people. And Allah SWT says, Abasa wa tawalla. He frowned and turned away when the blind man came to him. And how would you know, O Messenger of God, in other words, that that man will be of greater benefit than the people that you are talking to? Uh, meaning those who come to you really wanting, focus on them. Those who don't want, avoid them. Avoid them until when they reciprocate. We learn this as teachers as well in a classroom of 30 students, let's say, or 20 students. There are those who pay attention, those who don't. Those who are mucking around want attention, those who really want it seriously. A good teacher is able to know how to focus on the ones who are involved in the class and knows how to make a way where the other ones are not taking up too much of the class time. But unfortunately, some teachers, they, they, and even parents, some of them, those students who want to muck around, they, they, they take up all of our energy. So a smart person, intelligent person is one who is able to have the skill of knowing how to give those who really want knowledge more attention. My brothers and sisters, uh, let's move on now. After the priorities, think about priorities. What is more important here? Is it more important to teach somebody salat or teach somebody, for example, that they must eat with their right hand? Which one's first? As-salat. As-salat. But it's more important to teach a person the uh, fundamentals of salat than to teach them that they're praying in jeans, for example. Some people do that. No, fundamentals of salat. So, and a person who is intelligent thinks about what is more of a priority right now. Not the secondary stuff. Then the secondary comes as you get closer to the person. Let's move to number three. You cannot enjoin good and prohibit evil. You can't advise anyone if it is likely or it may lead to something worse. Like it may cause a conflict. You have a friend. 
You go to his house, and that friend or a cousin happens to be a Christian, let's say, and you see a cross hanging in their room. And then you come with the hadith, whoever is able to change something uh, wrong with their hands must change it with their hands. So he goes and gets it down and thinks, MashaAllah, I did a Prophet Ibrahim style. And then causes more disservice to the deen and a fight with his cousin and the people thinking you guys have no respect for other people's beliefs and faith. Coming to someone's else, take the cross down, you break it. What's wrong with you? Would that lead to a better outcome or a worse outcome? A worse outcome. I go on the internet and I see somebody acting a certain way. A sister was converted to Islam and so happy and talking about her deen. MashaAllah. And the first thing I do is, sister, go cover your hair. Go cover your hair. Go cover your hair. 200 people are bombarding her until she starts crying. And then doesn't want to talk about religion anymore. Where's the priority here? And what have you led? Have you led good to better? Or, for now, you just don't go there if it's, if, it's, if it's annoying you that much. Just go somewhere else. For now. Inshallah, she'll improve. I'm not saying it's... it's you know, that, you, that we stick aside, but that's the wrong place to educate right now. A comment hurts, especially if it's done in public, brothers and sisters. Would you like that? Would you like, if you're ignorant about something or something that you're weak in, and somebody comes and advises in front of everybody, would you like that? So, again, I'm not blaming you, brothers and sisters. I'm just letting you think with me. Would I like that? No. I wouldn't like that. Imam Shafi himself, when we said it last week, he wouldn't like that. He said, don't advise me in public. Even if you're right. Because if I don't listen to you, don't blame me. I'm not going to listen to you in public. One man, Sahabi, a companion, young man, who was about 16, 17 years old. He enters while the Prophet ﷺ is there and there are people around. And he openly says, Ya Rasulallah, please, please give me permission to commit zina. Give me permission to commit fornication. I want to sleep around. I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> he just said it openly. The Prophet the mosque. The people there, and even some family members, they want to take it up, frowning to tell him off, and some of them even to slap him out. How dare you talk to the Prophet like that, and in front of everybody with no shame? Rasul said, everybody sit down, sit down. Leave him to me. Move away and bring him closer. He brought him closer until only the Prophet ﷺ and the young, boy, young man could, could hear each other. He didn't let anybody hear it, just between him and the young man. And he asked him, what you're asking for? Would you agree that if I allow you, I also allow for someone else's sister? He said, no. Sorry, would you, would you allow for your sister? Would you allow me for someone to, to, to sleep with your sister? Have zina with your sister? He says, no, Ya Rasulullah. He said, would you like it for your mother? Would you like it for your auntie? Would you like it for your daughter? Would you like it for your wife? He said, no, Ya Rasulullah. Fidaka, Ya Rasulullah. He said to him, and the same, other people wouldn't like it. So the way he approached him, the way he brought him, that young man said, Wallahi, uh, zina became the most hated thing for me. Can you imagine that? Zina, adultery, fornication, became the most hated for me after that. A man entered... I think his name was Naim. Allahu Alam, I forgot his name. He used to drink alcohol. And he was a companion of the Prophet Sallallahu He entered and used to drink alcohol. But he was an addict. To, he was an alcoholic before he reverted to Islam. And because of that, he used to praise the fast, he'd go to jihad, everything. But he couldn't leave the alcohol. He couldn't leave the wine. 
And because he felt so guilty, he used to come to the Prophet ﷺ and say, Whip me, Ya Rasulullah, whip me 40 lashes so that the sin can go off me. He used to go and offer. And the whip was light, of course. It was more of a humiliation. And one day, a, another man stood up and he said, Man, this guy, this guy who keeps coming to the Messenger of Allah, doesn't he have any shame? He keeps whipping him and telling him, he keeps telling him, I drink wine. Has he no shame? But Rasul ﷺ quieted him, silenced him and said, Please don't say that. Don't say that about him. Wallahi, I know that he loves Allah and his messenger. Wallahi, I know that he loves Allah and his messenger. Give him time. And the man eventually stopped. So brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is that if we love Allah, we love his messenger and we want to be like him, we want to do good, then learn how the Prophet ﷺ did it so that we can do it. I say to everybody, if you want to enjoy good and prohibited evil, learn the seerah first. Learn about the etiquettes of the Prophet ﷺ, how he did things. Okay, so now we have done, so long as it does not lead to more wrong. And I'll give you one hadith which is in Bukhari. Uh, the Prophet wasallam he said to Aisha, his wife, he said to her, Ya Aisha, if our people were not new to Islam, I would have returned the Kaaba structure to the way Prophet Ibrahim had it. I would make the door to the floor. And I would make a door in the east and a door in the west open for everybody to enter and exit. And I would, put, I would put back the structure to the way he built it rectangular. That's how Ibrahim built it. But he said if it wasn't that your people, the people, the Quraysh and all these people were still new. Because he knew that if he had done that, it was going to cause disruption and abruption, civil, civil chaos. So he left it as it is, even though doing it back was the right way. And he left it until he died, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And a great uh, quote by, there's a great thing, Ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, if you know who I'm talking about, 12th century amazing scholar. When the Mongol scourge happened, the Mongol, when, you know the Mongol scourge, when they almost wiped out half of the world and they wiped out nearly all the Muslim civilization. Long story, they converted to Islam. The Mongols ended up reverting to Islam and they followed the Islamic Empire. Now, they were very used to drinking alcohol and killing. As soon as you, um, as soon as you, you tick them off, they'll probably kill you. And they were still new, so the Prophet Ibn Taymiyyah, he passed them by one day and he had his students with him and he saw them getting drunk in public. And you know, you can't get drunk in public under an Islamic rule. And alcoholism is pretty bad. And he didn't tell them off. He didn't tell them anything. Nothing. Even though the Rasul said, Whoever of you sees a wrong must change it. With their hand or with their tongue or hate it in their heart. If they can't do any of the other two. So when he passed, they said, Oh teacher, ya imam, you saw a munkar, uh, something false, and you didn't change it. Isn't that what the Prophet says? People who take it literally, right? And don't know the surrounding circumstances of why the Prophet ﷺ and the etiquette say they take it literally and they have to every person. <laughs> it's like that little social media commercial once I saw this guy, he slaps out everyone. Have you seen it? Slaps out one kid, slaps out the other. Anyone who talks just slap, 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 slap. I kept thinking about those who are just everywhere. Slap, 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 slap. You can't do that. No, no, no. That's not how Islam is called for. Sorry for that um, cringy example. But... That's what I'm trying to say, that uh, Ibn Taymiyyah said to them, uh, no, the Mongols are new, and they are quick to draw their swords and kill. I would rather them, I would rather them, being intoxicated, not know what they do, than to be killing and shedding blood. Let them stay like that until time 
the right time comes. So what did he do? He prioritized. Killing is worse than drinking alcohol. They are new. They don't know any better. If you try to tell them, it's going to get worse. They might even get up while they're drunk and start killing. So he left it until another time. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, that point? Number four, uh, you have to be aware of the background, circumstances, norms before advising or opposing. I gave that little example last week, and I'll just mention it very quickly. So, for example, here in Australia, and mostly in the West, you have to understand the mindset, the society, the way of life of the common Western person. In, in Australia, for example, I was raised and born here, I know that they take it offense and they don't listen if you just come up and start advising about religion or presenting religion for them. So you've got to be very wise in the way that you do it. Uh, for them, actions speak louder than words. Your behavior, your conduct is what really matters. I hear very, very, very often from non-Muslims when they say, and even to me, I've heard it so many often, if I had a dollar for each time, I'd be a millionaire. says, um, why do you guys not smile? I've got a neighbor, never has said hello in their life. Something so simple like that, Rasulullah said, Bashiru ala tunafiru, be... Uh, be people who always attract and, and uh, bring good to people and bring calmness and happiness to people, not, not sadness. Why? Once I entered, I went to a, a place, I won't say anything in particular, and the owner was a non-Muslim, but he was a good man. He, he's, he, loved, he likes Islam. He knows how to say, Salaamu Alaikum and that. He only says it because he wants us to feel happy that he's, he likes us. So then another Muslim brother entered in that shop, and, uh, and the, the brother said, Assalamu alaikum. So I said, Wa alaikum assalam. And the owner of the shop, who is a non Muslim, said, Wa alaikum assalam. So he's studying Islam. And this brother, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive him, he looks at the non Muslim and with a frowny face says, Not you. Hey, 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 hey. The guy wasn't paying attention. He says, Huh? He goes, You. Not you. Him. And the brother, he just. I felt very shy. I got, don't, don't do that. It doesn't matter. He's saying, peace be upon you. There's nothing wrong. So, not you, him. <laughs> He's my brother, not you. It doesn't matter. So, this is what, what, what we're talking about. I think you got the hint now. So, you've got to understand the norms and circumstances of people and their level of knowledge and accordingly work towards it. Number five, where good and bad are mixed. Uh, Places, uh, mixed place, community gatherings in the masjid. Uh, you see people doing good and bad at the same time. What do you do? Ibn Taymiyyah talks about this as well. He says, if the good is done, if the good that is done is higher than the wrong done and more, then encourage the good and don't talk about the bad. Don't even talk about the bad. Just continue to emphasize and motivate people in the good. Uh, if... Uh, the bad is more serious than the good, then talk about the serious bad. If they are equal, don't say anything. Example, you come into the masjid and you see people are praying in jama'ah, alhamdulillah. The pillars of the salat are met, the conditions of prayer are met, people are lined up, alhamdulillah. But you see some wrong in there. Some people may, in their eyes, say, mm, I can see innovations happening. Bida, bida, bida. Another person might say, uh, ah, no hat, no hat, mm, wearing pants. Uh, another person might come in and say, mm, the front row, you haven't got the shoulders touching each other. 
uh, they might say, oh, the imam, some masjid they have, they have a little step higher. They go, step higher, that's not, that's not the sunnah. They might come in and see the mimbar of the Prophet the mimbar where the imam gives this, oh, Prophet had only three stairs, why has this one got ten stairs? They might see a little crescent, say, hmm, the crescent, that's not from the sunnah, I'm going to break that. You know it happened here once in... Uh, anyway, I'm not going to go there. But <laughs> Brothers and sisters, let's move on. Let's move on. What I'm trying to say is this. Ibn Taymiyyah says, listen, and all the scholars agree. When you look and you see the good outweighs the bad, don't say anything to the public. Unless you can advise one person personally if you are close to them. Leave people as they are. Don't sit there focused so long as there's more good than the bad and the good is more serious and the pillars are met, inshaAllah ta'ala. We don't come and say, everybody out of the masjid, that masjid is full of munafiqeen and hypocrites because in my perception, that's what they are. No, leave them. Unless there is a masjid truly that is built on kufr. There are masjids that they've got their own religion these days. They make their own religions and they've twisted the Quran and they build a mosque, they call it a mosque, based on their own ideology. And they twist the verses and don't even believe in the verses of the Qur'an. Some of them don't even believe in hadiths of the Prophet ﷺ. They say, we are, the, for example, the Qur'anites, the Qur'anite mosque. In the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there were hypocrites. The hypocrites, the munafiqeen, they were true hypocrites, like they were disbelievers. And what they did, they built mosques for the hypocrites. And they used to meet together there and propagate. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down a verse of the Qur'an saying, only a masjid which is dirar. Dirar means a masjid that harms the community. It's a mosque. It looks like a mosque. People look like they're praying in it, but it is dirar. It's a place of propagation of the hypocrites. And Prophet ordered to destroy all of those mosques. Destroy. So, that's a different story. We move on now to number six. Do not enjoin good or prohibit evil on matters that have a difference of opinion among the scholars. For example, there are four schools of thought that are established. You see a Hanafi person praying in a certain way, a Shafi or a Hanbali praying in a different way. Don't command and prohibit evil. If you're a very close friend of that person, then you can talk as a discussion. Discuss. Sometimes I sit with my colleagues, we go overseas, some sheikhs sit, we sit together, and we have a friendly discussion. But I don't impose my madhab or my school upon him and he doesn't impose it upon me and we accept that there are differences, not a problem. Not a problem. Once uh, I prayed imam and I was wearing socks, thick socks. And a brother who was uh, Hanafi, and now uh, the madhab al-Hanafi doesn't say this, but he took it very zealously, very too much. And before I started, he goes, excuse me. I said, yes. He goes, did you take off your socks or did you wipe over them? Because in the Hanafi Madhab, he, he follows a very strict school that you cannot wipe over uh, uh, material socks. They have to be leather, which is a, you know, an, an, a, a valid opinion of theirs, but it is not the only opinion. It's an opinion. And uh, I said, I happened to have taken off my socks that day, alhamdulillah. I said, I took them off because, because if you told me you wiped them, I wouldn't pray behind you. I said, why? Because your prayer is not valid. See, you can't say that. This is a difference of opinion that is valid. Difference of opinion among scholars, you can't sit there and say right or wrong, valid or not valid. Okay, so this is another matter. Number seven, the wrong has to be apparent and not private. You can't go and spy on people and then enjoin good and prohibit evil. Ha! I got you. Haram! Ha! Gotcha! One brother used to go around looking at all KFC shops. Which Muslims are in there? I know from Preston Mosque. Host, told you, don't follow him, bad, deviant, uh, doesn't think about Palestinians. So no spying and prying to find out, unless, unless, 
If there is fear, genuine and well-founded fear, of great harm uh, or violation of others or oneself, someone's going to harm themselves or harm someone else truly, it is okay to spy. But in very, very, very strict circumstances, like you have to realize, like let's say it's usually somebody who's close to you or somebody who is truly out there to harm someone else, to go and follow them to say, okay, stop. But as in very rare circumstance, or somebody you know has got a mental condition and they've gone out of their house and your neighbor calls and says, can you please see, you know, my son, my, my, my husband, my wife, someone's gone out and they could harm themselves. And you go and follow them and you start asking, you start spying and seeing where they're going, right? Well, we don't really call it spying. You're really looking after them. And you just go in order to save them and to help them. So in order to save someone or to help them is a different story. But to otherwise to spy on people and to pry into their personal lives is haram, no matter what they're doing. One person said, sometimes I get this question, they say, I know somebody whose wife or, or whose husband um, you know, is talking to someone. Should I tell their husband? Should I tell their wife? I always say to them, don't. A lot of people might say, but, but, but that's not fair. What if, what if, what if? I understand that. But from experience, we've seen that it causes more harm than good. Like, we don't know the full circumstance. And sometimes we'll be creating a divorce when it could have been something very minor and would have passed, inshallah ta'ala. For example, I might be on the internet and see the name of somebody I know, and it could have been from their past, and they haven't deregistered from there, for example. Let's say, I'm just giving an example myself, I don't do that because I don't even know those sites. Let's say a dating app, for example, or something like that, right? And I see that I shouldn't really say anything. If I do want to say anything, I'll go to the person if I know them and give them advice. Or I would tell someone who is close that would not cause harm to secretly give them advice. Do you understand, brothers and sisters? Okay. So I think that I know some people may have a different opinion, but from experience, I think that has always worked. And we say in Arabic, We say, ask a person with experience and expertise, and don't ask a person who only knows the theories. Well, in other words, a person with theory and expertise knows much better than a person who only has read from textbooks. Brothers and sisters, I want to end uh, with the last ones. Judging and labeling. When you enjoin good and prohibiting evil, it's haram to judge and label. Common things people say. We judge by what we see. The apparent. Everybody uses that line. Umar says, We judge by the apparent. Yeah, he meant it in a different context. It's in a good way. It means somebody tells you, I've repented. Somebody tells you, I'm a Muslim. You say he's good. But you don't judge on the apparent, meaning somebody does one bad thing, and then I say, based on that, you are a sinful person. You are a, you are a, you're going to hellfire. You're a mushrik. You're a this. You're a that. No, the other way around, in a good way. So uh, you do not slander the intentions. Yes, apparent is this action, but it's not enough to judge the person till you clarify, as we said in the Quran. Do not jump to conclusions based on wrong actions, even if they are true. Sheikh Islam, again, Ibn Taymiyyah, says in Majmu al-Fatawa, he says, People have known me that when I receive news about a person, a scholar, a seeker of knowledge, or a commoner of a saying or an action of his or her that they did, while I know he is known to be a Muslim, I would never judge him or her with labels of tafsiq, tabdi', tadlil, tashriq, or takfir. 
these are common words that are very negative. Until I have sitten with that person personally and I have given hujja the argument and presented and known the whole circumstance and if they repent I keep it a secret and I say he's a good man and if they openly declare something that is known to be perfectly clear that it is totally out of the fold of Islam I would warn against them. He also said and there were many mushtahids, many scholars of the past of our predecessors and later on who used to say things that were later on known as innovations or wrong. And they didn't know that it was an innovation, for example, uh, either because the hadiths they received were weak and later on they were known that after authenticating them and they thought that they were authentic or because of certain verses they misinterpreted uh, them in the way that they genuinely thought was right or because of an opinion which they thought was the right way or because of some text uh, that did not reach them. So it used to happen. So if we're going to sit down and, and judging every single person for a little thing, that even if they're scholars, we're going to be doing disservice to the din and creating more disunity than good brothers and sisters. So verify and clarify. And you've got to see, are you the person who should be clarifying and verifying? Many scholars have been asked about certain situations. They say, this is for the scholars, ya Habibi. This is not for you. Not everybody has to say something. So you've got to monitor that. Number eight, the wrong is in the present, not in the past. You don't sit there enjoining and telling somebody about something you did in the past. You keep on, there are some people, they keep on abusing the person and shaming them of something they did in the past. Yeah, have you stopped it? Yeah, what about you? They do something wrong and you take a person and the person says, yeah, I still remember what you did. Yeah, so remember what we did last summer. <laughs> you know, did we do five years ago, ten years ago in winter? In this, remember at that place I saw you? No, this is haram to shame people. So on the present, something that happens now. Do not go back in the past of the wrong if someone, of someone and advise them. That's just shaming and guilt tripping. Exception, if the past is affecting the present or the rights of others that are not met yet or a close friend or family you know has not repented from a past act, Give them gentle and kind advice if it will be a benefit. Number nine, choosing the best time. A lot of us don't choose the best time. A lot of us love to choose social media time. Sitting in my bed, scrolling through social media, on TikTok, seeing all that, and then suddenly, oh, oh, deviant. Next, what's that? Scrolling through, scrolling through, I've seen, yani, a person would sit, I'm just giving my example, I've seen, you know, a person sit, has seen many non-hijabis, Probably a hundred. Passes one. Oh, a Muslim girl that's non-hijabi. Cover your head, sister. Haram, haram, ha next. And I keep going. Tayyip, what I'm saying is, yes, it's true. Or a brother. Tattoos, talking about Islam. How could you? Yes. In Islam, tattoos are haram. Yes. Men don't imitate women. Women don't imitate men. Yes, hijab is a must. Yes, uh, there's certain rules in Islam and so on and so forth. But do you think that's the right place to command good and prohibit evil right there and then? Have I prioritized? Do I know the circumstances? Do I have full knowledge? Is this going to work? Is this going to benefit? What have I done? What have I done? So my brothers and sisters, be very careful about that. Number 10, utilizing the best occasions uh, and events with less intrusion. Rasul used to always look for the best circumstance and events where Nobody can feel that they are targeted. The best advice, I'll give you this very, very quick advice before the Isha. Once I was called to give a talk uh, back in my early 20s, and it was at a mosque, and there was a, a curtain, and I can only see the men. 
And the sisters were behind the curtain. I can't see the sisters. I don't know how many sisters there are. I don't know. So I'm talking, and one question came to me. It, it, the question was, if a woman does not wear hijab, not wear the, the clothing as a, in accordance with the Qur'an. So the word hijab is not in the Qur'an. It's called sitr, which means to cover. To cover in accordance with the guidelines of the Qur'an and the sunnah. If she doesn't cover properly, will she go to hellfire? I quoted what the Prophet ﷺ said and what Allah says. Whoever disobeys Allah will be accountable in question on the Day of Judgment. I quoted Rasul ﷺ seeing in hellfire certain types of women and men that looked in certain ways and some of them were aurat, which means that they weren't clothed right, they showed their aura. But I did not target this sister or anybody. I didn't even know if anybody in the audience was that person. I talked in general. And then I finished with saying, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the circumstances of every individual. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can forgive or give mercy. And if a person doesn't know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives them until they know. So we don't judge people. But this is the general ruling. Now, it was a sister from behind the curtains who had sent me that letter. Remember, I have never seen her. Till today, I don't know who she is. But a friend of mine who I worked with in teaching, he says to me, you know, about six or seven years ago, you, I was at this talk with you. And I know this person who was behind the curtains. And she sent you a letter about hijab. And you said some things. She got so offended. She went home crying. And she said to him, said, I went there looking at the mirror and saying, how could he judge you, woman? Who is he? He doesn't even know you to say if you're going to hellfire or not. How could he tell you? And she kept going at that, right? And then she goes, then I stopped. I thought to myself, he doesn't know me. <laughs> he doesn't know who I am. Why am I blaming him for something that he answered in general in the Quran and I'm taking so much offense to it? And then she goes, I realize that I'm actually blaming myself. I'm actually angry with myself. And that on its own made her go and research and learn more and slowly, alhamdulillah, ends up wearing her hijab by herself on her own. Now, if she was in front of me, I wouldn't talk to her that way, of course. But that's what she did. She goes, and you know what? I found that it was me. And subhanAllah, she started improving on herself. What I'm trying to say of that story is, remember, brothers and sisters, that utilizing occasions, speaking in public, is much better, or in occasions, or in family gatherings, or when you're together, or somebody says something without making it known that it is that person, or hinting. If you think that it is, avoid that circumstance, brothers and sisters. All right, brothers and sisters, you might invite someone to a khutbah, you might uh, gift somebody who's been asking about Islam, or deen, a little, uh, I was going to say cassette tape, like refer a link or something that they can listen to. Uh, maybe you can invite them to the masjid to a talk, anything like that. All right? But don't get too sensitive. Like some people, they like to share hadiths or verses on social media. Has, have you been one of those where you get it from your friend, right? Sends you a hadith or a verse of the Quran about how to improve A, B, or C. And then you say, um, why did you send that to me? Like, why me? <laughs> did I do something? And that person might be thinking, no, well, I was just sharing with about 100 of my contact list. And you go, oh, okay. So it's not me. I thought, you know, you're judging me. So, again, we also can't be that sensitive, right? <laughs> but if you do know somebody is sensitive, just be careful. Don't send something to them where you think they're a bit more paranoid and sensitive about themselves. Take it easy on them. Finally, brothers and sisters, I just want to say the etiquettes, they're very quick because I'm not going to focus on them too much. The etiquettes, once again, 10 manners 
and then we'll finish inshallah. Number one, before you enjoin good and prohibit evil brothers and sisters, you must be gentle and kind. Do not shove it down their throats. Do not engage in fruitless argumentations with them. Be gentle and be kind. Number two, make sure that your intention is sincere. You're doing it for the sake of Allah and your intention is not for views, for likes, for your ego, because of your low self-esteem, because you want attention, because you want to feel good. No. Your intentions have to be for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you've got to see what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly and honestly and in the best way. Call to the path of your Lord with wisdom and goodly advice. So your intention has to be pure and good, genuine and those who have amazing, beautiful intentions are usually the most humblest brothers and sisters. They're the ones who talk less. They're the ones who you don't see going around telling and advising everyone all the time. You're actually, they're actually very slow. They're very careful. Uh, the ulama, the scholars, have a common saying. They say, وَكُلَّمَا زَادَ الْإِنسَانُ عِلْمًا وَتَفَقُّهًا قَلَّ إِنْكَارُهُ the more a per the scholars have known, they say we have known that the more knowledgeable a person becomes in the deen, the less they refute others, the less they oppose. And that's why the opposite is true. The more a person mouths off and refuting, 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 it's a sign of less knowledge. So inshallah ta'ala, I hope that's important. So humbleness. Number three is humbleness. Rasulullah said, whoever humbles themselves for the sake of Allah, Allah will raise them. And humble means like this. I saw one person make a comment on one of my social media pages and said something that was negative and positive at the same time. And I said to him, Allah SWT, I reward you true. Your statement is 100% and no one is better than another. And he wrote another statement, Allah SWT, I reward him. He says, well, I feel guilty. I just thought about my own sins and I shouldn't have put that comment. And Diani, Allah reward him. He intended well. But this is a sign that a person reflects on themselves. So reflect on yourself and be humble, inshaAllah ta'ala. Number, number four, work on improving yourself in practicing what you preach. Now some people, they say, if, if, if I do a sin of, of a certain thing, right, am I allowed to still advise other people even though I'm doing it? Or am I a hypocrite? The answer is no, you're not a hypocrite, Habibi. If everybody thought that way, nobody will advise anybody anything. We will never get knowledge. Every person has sins. Just because you're doing that sin. But there is a difference. What Allah says is don't forget about yourself, meaning don't feel good about your sin that you've advised someone else. Advise them, Allah will reward you for it, so long as you are also considering and trying to change. And you're asking Allah to help you. So that's how we do it, inshaAllah ta'ala. Uh, number five, avoid, gathering, uh, or, uh, avoid gatherings that are engaging in the wrongfulness until they re-engage in something good again. Don't sit with people who are doing bad things. But once they change, you can come and sit back with them, inshallah. Uh, the next one is, accept advice from others just as you advise yourself. If you want to enjoy good and prohibit evil, you should also be ready to accept advice. Umar says, May Allah have mercy on a person who gifts me my shortcomings. And a very high-value person, actually, experts talk about, a high-value person is a person who is able to sift through the criticism and not let it affect them and choose what benefits from them from there. Because remember, people's criticism, some of them, are, most of them are very stupid. But some of them, they do carry some weight. And if you believe and you say, you know what, that's actually really good. And you build yourself from that, that criticism will be forgotten and you would have built yourself up. 
Get some advice, insha'Allah ta'ala. Uh, businessmen do that all the time. Sometimes they test it out. They, find, they think of a company name or a business name for their endeavor, for their venture. And then they go to other experts who are successful and they say, oh, I'm thinking of doing a business name. What's its name? Its name is such and such. And if that person says, what kind of a name is that? What are you trying to do? And doing, then you actually, t- business, smart entrepreneurs will take that and say, oh, okay, then I, I just benefited something. I'll go and make a better name now. So that also happens in Deen. Lastly, uh, seek support and advice from those you trust in how to advise other people. Don't just go ahead and think, I know it all. We have a saying in Arabic, <laughs> I'm the best, I'm the, I'm the stud, I'm the one that knows it all. Nobody can tell me, I'm it. So, no. Accept advice from others about approach and don't worry. Shouldn't have done it that way. Well, subhanAllah, I really appreciate that. How do you think, where did I go wrong? How do you think I should approach it next time? May Allah reward you. Thank you for that advice. Thank the people. My dear brothers and sisters, this is what I want to say in summary. Um, I think Aisha is approaching in about three or four minutes. I had a question. I want to just say, answer it. Someone said, what if it offends people? If it offends people, should I continue to advise? And I've just listed something very quickly. There's five types of approaches that offend people. Two of them are not okay, and three of them are okay. Number one, uh, if what you're advising that person, if you think they're going to get offended, and what you're advising about something personal, personal to them, that is religious. Let's say advising about something religious. And that religious thing is not affecting anyone else. It's only affecting them. Something good that if you tell them to do it better, and it will only benefit them religiously, and you know that they get offended, they might get offended, don't tell them. Don't tell them. And if you are going to advise them about something that is personal to them, but it's not religious, like you're not advising how to improve their salat or how to stay away from haram, and it's personal to them, meaning worldly, a better idea, say, of a business, a better idea of a transaction or something like that, and you know they'll get offended, then don't tell them good or bad. Just stay away. So avoid these things because they could harm you and harm them. However, if somebody is, is, is taking your right, this is your right, and you tell them, and you know they're getting offended by what you're saying, no problem. This is your right. You're allowed and you should speak up, but within boundaries. Don't go overboard and start becoming obnoxious. And number two, if they're taking the rights of others and you want to advise someone, give back the right. You shouldn't be doing, saying that to that person. You should, don't be a bystander. Even if they get offended, say it. So long as you're safe, inshallah ta'ala. And lastly, if it offends Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If something is sinful, if you're going to tell somebody how to uh, drink alcohol better, you're advising somebody of how to get more drugs. You're advising somebody of how to benefit more money out of selling something that Allah has forbidden. That's not good advice. That is offensive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you are violating Allah's rules. And if you're telling someone to not do something and by not doing it, um, it makes them fall into more haram, then it's offensive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's like saying, hey bro, you like that girl, don't you? I know you've got a crush on her. Hey, I'll teach you some words of how to get her. You know what I'm saying, some young people. I've heard, I've heard that. Sorry, I'm a teacher. I hear teenagers talking like that sometimes. So, or the other way, some girls they say it, hey, wear this on, put this on your face, he'll look at you more. 
So these things, brothers and sisters, this is sinful and uh, we have to be careful, inshallah ta'ala. All right, brothers and sisters, I think we'll stop there, inshallah ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you and benefit us all. I hope, Ya Rabb, that whatever I said right is from Allah and whatever I said wrong is from myself and the shaitan. And please forgive me, brothers and sisters, if I had said anything here that may have uh, pointed out anyone or offended anybody or anything like that. Jazakumullahu khair. Hada wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.